from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. They're just doing the same things, but they're Asian. Girl, you don't even know how redneck I can get, you know? (laughs) There have definitely been times, I think, no matter who you are, um, you weren't really sure you could bring your full self to the table. And even if we're not similar, even if the character has rainbow hair or like is a hacker or like in a dystopian (laughs) world, it's like this one trait makes me feel so seen. We know that the impact of seeing yourself at the library and in those stories and in the books is huge. And he had a really great answer. I think he told me that there's always going to be this hyphenated identity of Chinese American or Asian American, but to sort of just write what I feel. I'm Sarah Fenske. In January, Michelle Lee went viral. The morning news anchor and reporter at Five on Your Side had casually mentioned how she enjoyed eating dumpling soup for New Year's, like a lot of Koreans. Well, in response, she got a rambling voicemail from a viewer. The woman accused Michelle of being, quote, very Asian and suggested she keep her Korean to herself. It was an ugly moment, but Michelle responded with grace. Her response went viral, and that has led not only to some important conversations, but now a new initiative. And joining us now is Michelle Lee. She is morning news anchor and reporter at KSDK and the founder of the Very Asian Foundation. <laughs> Michelle, welcome. Thank you for having me. Longtime listener, big time fan. So well, this is thank exciting. you so much. That's so flattering. <laughs> and so this voicemail, it ended up becoming a big national moment. I'm wondering, had you gotten voicemails like that before that oh, moment? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, to anyone who's ever been in that situation, no, no matter what, like if you've been on air, you, you've heard that before, yeah. right? So I don't know why that one was a little different. I think it just hit differently because of all the things that had kind of happened to me over the last year to get me back to my home state. And I was just at a point where I, I was kind of like, no. <laughs> I just thought, man, I am in my I'm in my 40s. How long do I have to hear that kind of stuff? You know, I've been in news for 20 years. Yeah. And so I thought I'm just going to share it because I don't think sometimes when you repeat things, you know, maybe people don't necessarily believe you yeah. or they don't think it's that bad. But when you let someone do the work themselves, you know, then it's like, oh, wow, that was that was interesting, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you chose a good one to share. And that, like, the thinking in this, I feel like if anybody listened to this voicemail, they'd be like, wait a minute. Like, this woman is overreacting in yeah. such a bizarre way to a passing comment. Even so, were you surprised when it took off to the extent it oh, took I, off? I was terrified because, you know, I have said this before. It's like when, except for it's like times a thousand. But you know, if you've ever had the experience of having a wedding, you invite all these people, and then you, you know, you might invite too many people. Yeah. And then when they show up, you're always surprised, even though you sent out the invitation. You know, I know, I, I knew I put that on social media. You were asking for a reaction, right? But I literally only thought the same ten people would be interacting with my content. You know, you really yeah. don't think. 
oh, the whole world could see this tweet. I mean, I tweet every day, yeah. you know, so I just wasn't thinking that that would happen. But when it did, I actually started freaking out yeah. because I thought, oh, my gosh, am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get fired? Did I really overdo it this time? Um, and then you start thinking, well, how many times did I put my kid on the Internet? You know, And or, that's all out there in this, yeah. this public account now that everyone's <laughs> like, looking no. at. And also sometimes, you know, sort of the initial response that y- you can get to a tweet can be so positive and people are rallying behind you. And then as like a day turns into oh, two yeah. days – out come the trolls. Yes. So that was the thing. I was like, when do I get canceled? You know, and I was so nervous about it. I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, what did I say in 1998 that's going to get me roasted? You know, hopefully, don't go looking for it. That's not an invitation. <laughs> There's nothing there. There's nothing. Yeah. that actually didn't happen, right? Right, right. I yeah. mean, there was no canceled moment. Did Five on Your Side, KSDK, did they have your back this whole time? They did. And so... Honestly, that was what was so heartwarming and uh, in like inspiring for me as a journalist because there have definitely been times, I think no matter who you are, um, you weren't really sure you could bring your full self to mm-hmm. the table, you know, as a parent, as a mother, as a person of color, whatever it is. Like it's like, oh, we're the newsroom, you know, we, you have to be here at this time, you know, and, yeah. and for this story. You just or, keep your professional face on. Yeah. And really, I think over time, what we've discovered is that we all have different experiences that lead us to better storytelling, better empathy, you know, better connections with the people that we're trying to cover. So why are we pretend, like, who's this fake audience that we're, you know, appealing to? Yeah. Everyone's got stuff, you know, and everyone's got experiences. People don't want a robot. Yeah, they don't want a robot. And, um, you know, I'm a real person. I'm a real mom. My kid goes to real school in St. Louis. So it's like, you know, you have this experience and the fact that KSDK, Five on Your Side, that all my managers were like, we've got you. And don't worry. We just want to make sure that you are feeling okay. You know, do you need some time off? Do you need some time to think? Do you want to respond? Those were all really beautiful things. And even like, okay, you want this foundation? You can have this foundation. I just thought that was really incredible yeah. and um, in some ways groundbreaking, at least, you know, in my experience. Yeah, so. that you were able to then pursue this thing that, that you were feeling like you were really passionate about. Yeah. I mean, I still have to be careful because I still have to be a journalist, sure. you know. But I, I think of things of like, um, you know, when you look at things, not just – Sometimes race can be political, right? Mm -hmm. But I think I'm not being political because I'm an Asian person. Like, I just, I can't help it, right? And when you're eating soup dumplings, like, (laughs) or dumpling soup, (laughs) sorry, like, that's not a political act. No. But in this country, at this moment, it almost, it felt like a political act to that woman. Yeah. Like, some people have really politicized race in this country. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to get into the nuances of that. But I'm just saying, in, in my experience, I'm just trying to live my best life, you know, and, um, and a part of that is being Asian or having the Asian packaging, (laughs) you know, because I grew up in Missouri and I grew up in a white family. I'm the only Asian person in my family. You were Um, adopted. I was adopted. Yeah. And you were born in Korea? Was born in Korea, um, went, uh, was uh, in an orphanage and in foster care and then came to the United States when I was six months old. We actually moved to a little town called Brookfield, Missouri. I have not heard of that (laughs) town. That must be a little town. It's a little town. My parents loved living in little towns. So, um, but, you know, grew up like hunting, fishing. All these things. All 
like, Missouri stuff. Yeah, and loved it. Um, and were there any Koreans in this no. town? Oh None my God. at all. No Korean, no Asian people at all. I used to say, I think I'm the only Asian person in the county, you know, yeah. and I wanted nothing. And, you know, and that's kind of a journey, too, because I wanted nothing to do with Asian Asianness at all, because it was so different. You know, uh, I remember there was like one place that had karate lessons in my county, you know, one place. Yeah. And my mom was like, do you want to you want to take karate? And I was like, Mom. No. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm Korean. We're not, we don't do Korean. No, I, you know, just things like yeah. that that I, and now, um, you know, of course, looking back, I think, okay, it, it, it was just that I was so different in all aspects of my life. I did not want to be any, anything different. Yeah. And then when you get older, you realize, wait a minute, but this is special. You yeah. know, this is what makes me who I am. When did that change for you? Like, was there a moment where you were beginning to become more interested in exploring that heritage? Um, I'd say my teenage years. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really an accident because for some reason, an adoption agency that we live close to, uh, had like a Korean heritage camp and it was for adoptees. So I was like, can I go to this? It's in, It was in Tulsa and yeah. we were living in near Kansas City. And my mom said, yeah, sure. And I don't know how I got that mailer. Like yeah. that's what's even more weird. Like they, I don't know why I got the mailer. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so um, so I started going and what I really discovered was, okay, I didn't really go to camp for like the kimchi and the, you know, but I, what I really discovered is that there were so many other rural Korean adoptees, mm-hmm. you know, that there were so many kids who were just like me and I loved that experience. And then what happened was one of my friends who was a year older went to Korea after high school graduation and I told my mom and dad, I said, can I do that? I really want to do that. And then when I went to Korea the next year. And your parents were encouraging of this. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, they were like, we can't afford to go, but you'll go. And so so I went to Korea and on accident discovered that I had a, an entire like Korean family intact. That's I'm, quite a thing to discover <laughs> by accident, Michelle. I know. It, that's, you know, sometimes the universe and whatever you believe in, you know, works in, in so many in crazy, intense ways. And when I went to Korea, that changed my life because here I had my mother, my father, my Korean mother, and my Korean father. I had two older sisters and one younger sister. Wow. And they had... My mother gave birth to me in a free clinic, did not name me, just relinquished me right on spot because she had a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and my father was working on a ship. So that's a lot. And yeah. Well, having just one kid now, yeah. I'm like, oh, they will drop you <laughs> to your knees, you know? You're, you know, so can you imagine having a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old and then one on the way? And so I wasn't a son. If I had been a son, I think she probably would have kept me. Mm. But I think she was just really stressed. She's never said that to yeah. me. Um, but when my she told my father, she told him that I had died at birth. And so he did no, had no idea. And then he came home from work and then got my birth mother pregnant right away. And they had a, my youngest sister. So my youngest sister and I are like, uh, I want to say we're 14 months apart. Oh, we're my really goodness. Close. I don't know how that's possible. This but. is an amazing story. <laughs> and I'm sure it was so hard to just come to terms with all of this. This, this whole intact family is not what you anticipate yeah. when you go to explore an adoption origin story. Oh, yeah. I thought I was just going to go, you know, learn about food and culture, see the folk village, yeah. go on some roller coaster rides. You know, I had no idea that that was going to happen for me. But it it changed my life in in so many ways. Uh, Really got me interested in Korean culture, connected, had this real connection now with Korean heritage. But it's complicated. You know, it's really complicated because it's not it's 
you know, not a straight line kind of story. You know, we've had ups and downs. and Is that part of what led you to clap back, though, that this is something that you have been, you know, you've been exploring this. (laughs) And so, you know, as you're you're eating these foods on New Year's, this is like claiming that part of yourself. I think so, because for me, I'm like, girl, you don't even know how redneck I can get, you know? (laughs) Like, I'm thinking, like, you don't even know. I'm from Missouri. Like, you know, if she only knew how I was raised. But, you know, you don't have you don't get to carry your white parents with you out in the public. Right. And you don't get that protection. And being on air and on television for 20 years, I've I've endured all of it. You know, like, get out of here. It's so disrespectful. You'd be here at this, you know veteran ceremony, you know, yeah. I mean, a people lot of just, stuff. People just making assumptions about who you are that yeah. invalidate your entire childhood. And I'm like, I can outfish you, you know, <laughs> don't give me, you know. I mean, to me, it was like, I have, you know, because it's like, gosh, I have worked so hard on myself and discovering who I am, as we all do as human beings. And to me, I just thought, man, this woman has no idea who I am. And so, yeah, so I, sh- I shared it. You shared it. And it, it was a lo- another life-changing moment. Yeah, I mean, this went so viral. You ended up on The Ellen Show. Like, that's the summary <laughs> of how viral this went. Everybody covered this. The Washington Post wrote about you. I mean, this oh was, my gosh. you know, just a million retweets. This is everywhere. And rather than just kind of ride this moment and be like, wow, I'm famous. Like, <laughs> I'm going to use this to get the next bigger job. You decided to, to have a foundation yeah. to turn this into something that was bigger than you. Well, I have to give credit to Alex Lee. He was the, he's the president and the founder of the Asian American Chamber of Commerce here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He reached out to me um, and he was like, what do you want to do with this moment? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. But we, you know, in many conversations within, within a group of us, um, it was like, let's do something bigger. If it doesn't last, it doesn't last. But if it doesn't go national, then we'll still have a St. Louis organization, yeah. right? And I do think that there is a vibe between not just Missouri Asians, but like Midwest Asians. that We need visibility because there's so much... Um, you know, if we don't live on a coast, we don't exist, right? We're just in flyover country. Mm-hmm. And that's so ridiculous when you look at, like, the Hmong population in Minneapolis or in Minnesota. It's the largest Hmong population in the country. Or the largest uh, Korean adoptee population is also in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, uh, we had Hop Alley here. You know, for a 100 years, we had a Chinatown in St. Louis. And if you, you know, walk around the streets and you ask people, hey, do you know what Hop Alley is? So many people have no idea. No idea. And it's not just like, oh, this is Asian American history. I mean, this is Missouri history. So to me, it's like we've got to do more because we have kids. You know, we have the next generation, and we need to make sure that our kids feel confident so that they can go out into the world and if they love themselves, they can love others and they can do better for their communities as well. We're talking today to Michelle Lee. She is an anchor and reporter at Five on Your Side, had a very viral moment (laughs) that has now led to the Very Asian Foundation. Um, We need to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Michelle. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Welcome back. We are talking today to Michelle Lee. She is the morning news anchor and also a reporter at Five on Your Side. Had a moment that many of you heard about across the nation, across the world uh, this January, and that has led to her founding the Very Asian Foundation. And Michelle, so May 15th, you launched, is this the first big project through the Very Asian Mm -hmm. Foundation? This is the May May (laughs) book project, a Very Asian American Youth Literature Guide for All Readers. Yeah, we put the second part in to just really stumble everybody. (laughs) you got to make this hard for me. Tell me, what is the idea behind this very long title? Um, Well, basically, we wanted to say we have um, a desire to get Asian American youth literature to all readers. Um, You know, we believe that you need to see yourself and you need to see others. Um, That's what a lot of educators and um, librarians talk about. And so we know that there just aren't a lot of, um, there's not a lot of representation necessarily. And we know that there's a need for it in St. Louis. And really, if okay, if it's happening in St. Louis, it's happening other places as well. Yeah. So something that's very cool about this, I understand it builds on the work of a different group here in St. Louis. This is the Asian American Civic Scholars Group in St. Louis, and they had put together a book list in 2021. How did you end up hearing about those efforts? Oh, my goodness. So after I went viral, we had a student panel, and it was with students in St. Louis, the AACS, and then also with some students from New Jersey, Make Us Visible New Jersey, and in California, Dear Asian Youth. And so um, we all had to get, we all got together, and we started talking about just issues, right? And so the students in St. Louis said that they tried to put a book list together last year. They sent it out to about 10 schools in the area, and they were completely ignored. Now, on top of that, they also added mental health issues, having no access to mental health, and really what that did to not having visibility, you know, not being ignored, kind of being invisible in their schools, uh, and then at the same time going out into their neighborhoods and being hyper-visible. So some students talked about um, like their family businesses they would be at, and people would walk in, be very upset about mask mandates, or say something like, well, you're the reason COVID's here. Oh. You know, this was happening in their own neighborhoods in St. Louis. So this dual reality of being invisible and hyper-visible, <clears throat> excuse me, was really um, impactful for these students. And I said, well, I can't help you with everything, Mm -hmm. but I think we can get your book list out there, you know, or we can start that. And so that's what we did. Well, and that actually leads us to our second guest today. That is Cassie Sun. She is a senior at Marquette High School in Chesterfield. She is a member of the Asian American Civic Scholars Group in St. Louis. Cassie, welcome. Hi. uh, Thanks for having me. And so your group had put together this book list and just couldn't really get any traction on it. Yeah, there's just, it's so hard to get support when it's just like, a student-led organization because there's so many and it's great that there's so many but it's also hard to be taken seriously so I think we really needed like a stronger organization to back us up and to show that this is actually something that's happening and something that's real. So what was your reaction when you found out that Michelle and this brand new foundation might be interested in in picking up this ball and like sort of helping you carry it down the field? Yeah for sure I think it was definitely like wow this is actually going to happen now. Like now we have experts who are curating the list of the books and we have these lists and we have these students who can reach out to their school librarians and everything. And we have all the resources and the people to make this happen. So it was like a really big moment that like this is actually going to happen and be real. 
<laughs> and so, Michelle, there's this list, and they had put a list together. Then did you end up sort of building on this list, or, or where did things go from that um, first step? Well, I, <clears throat> I think the students had a really great idea, but then there were some age appropriateness that, you know, we had to change. Um, and I said, well, we're not experts. So we went to national scholars, so people who have PhDs in, you know, youth literature. And uh, I think we you, we actually convened like seven uh, scholars, and then we started working with a group called We Need Diverse Books, which is a nonprofit, um, the Asian Authors Alliance, Apollo, which is the Asian Pacific American Librarians Association. So real experts, you, you guys know? really did your homework. <laughs> uh, we tried to, but really it was easy because the scholars were so invested. And so now we have a book list of about 200 plus books from early readers to adult crossover, so it gives people choice, and it's access to literature. So, you know, just being very cl- careful and clear on some of that because, you know, books are being banned in places, and there's, there are real arguments in school districts. And we just want to say, hey, it's access to literature, and you've got a lot of choice. And so, Cassie, now that this very comprehensive list has been put together, um, are you guys trying to get the word out? Like, okay, we've got this list. We've also got Michelle <laughs> Lee. Like, listen to us. Yeah, for sure. We've been, like, reaching out to, like, a bunch of students, too, and trying to get, like, lists of names to petition our libraries and get all our people involved. People at the school, they do want to be involved, like, once they hear about it. I've had friends who are, like, really excited about it. So we're definitely, like, excited. So it is already taking off. So when the May Book Project started, the St. Louis County Library had <laughs> 70% of the list in their collection. Since then, they have made an effort to purchase 100% of the That's titles. Amazing. That's huge. So Jennifer Gibson is the library's assistant director of strategic initiatives, and she is of Korean descent. She was also adopted by a family in the U.S. She said she was ecstatic to work with the Very Asian Foundation on this project. I grew up in an area where I was never really around a lot of other Asian people. And it's only as an adult that I've started to really understand that I have a place in sort of the Asian diaspora. And so this project on a personal level was so exciting and fulfilling, not only because I'm helping and the library is helping Asian teens who are, who came to, came to us for help, being able to help the next generation um, is so meaningful. And also getting to, you know, become part of a community that I didn't necessarily feel I was a part of before. And the library's Jennifer Gibson said she first realized the power of representation early on in her career. When I was new at the library, a young Asian teenager shouted at me from across the library. She was so excited. She goes, are you Asian? And I walked over to her and said, yes, I am Asian. And she said she had never seen an Asian librarian before. And I thought that was really amazing. I was so happy to be part of that experience. But it's that sort of representation in the library, both in our employees, but also so in our collection that are so important to the community, whether they ever say anything to us at the library or not, we know that the impact of seeing yourself at the library and in those stories and in the books is huge. You can't measure the importance of that. And that is Jennifer Gibson of the St. Louis County Library. Cassie, hearing that story about the teen who was so excited to see a librarian of, of Asian descent, I'm wondering if you ever had a similar experience reading where you were excited to pick up a book 
and you saw, oh, wow, there's someone in this book who looks like me. Yeah, for sure. I think that's very relatable just because I think like when you're growing up, you like base your personality off these characters that you like. And then if you don't see an Asian character, you're like, who am I supposed to be then? Or I think it's just so amazing. Like when I found like a book with a main character who is Asian and doing all the same things, like being the same heroine as like non-white, as white characters and they're just doing the same things, but they're Asian. And even if we're not similar, even if the character has rainbow hair or like is a hacker or like in a dystopian <laughs> world, it's like this one trait makes me feel so seen and like related. Mm-hmm. Michelle, I, I imagine that. when you were growing up in rural Missouri, this was maybe not a ton of <laughs> yeah, books right. that, that featured, you know, Korean adoptees. The Joy Luck or, Club. That yeah, was it. That and was all you got. Oh, the Babysitter's Club. We had Claudia. That's right, Claudia yeah. Kishi. Mm-hmm. We yeah. all loved her. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be yeah. the cool one. But so now your son is... Uh, He's three. Three, yes. Are you feeling that as you're looking at, at books for him and maybe using this list to find books for him, that this is changing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Here's what I think is really interesting because some of our lists are maybe like 10 books long. I think the early – is it the early readers? Now I can't remember, of course. But um, – it goes to show you that there's still a need for representation in certain ways, right? Because this book list is totally vetted, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, why is this why is this particular list shorter? Yeah. You know, what's the need? And I think even with my son, okay, so, you know, my husband is Polish-Dutch, um, and I'm, you know, Korean, and my son is a mix of both of us, and, and I'm adopted. So I have this, like, you know... It, to me, picking up a book to explain our life is not necessarily easy, but I'm not the only one. Jennifer would be one, right? Yeah. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands of us who are in that same boat. So I think, gosh, you know, we really do need more books and more representation because it's a lot easier to to read a book than explain it to my child. Yeah, that's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> right. It like does the job for yeah. you, right? Right. <laughs> so we should mention, in addition to this book list that you guys are doing such a good job of getting out there. Um, David Yoon has a book on this list. And Michelle, you got to interview him last month. Oh, my god! For a live audience, he took questions. And and this was a lot of questions from people in your group. Mm -hmm. Cassie asked a question. Yeah, I did. (laughs) I did. I asked about writing authentic characters since sometimes I also want to be a writer someday. So then I've always sort of been confused about do I write about white characters? Do I write about Asian characters? Is it too Asian or very Asian, so to say? (laughs) But I asked about that, and he had a really great answer. I think he told me that there's always going to be this hyphenated identity of Chinese-American or Asian-American, but to sort of just write what I feel or write the way I feel, and that is the most authentic way I can be. So that was really great. And mm-hmm. as a writer in in training and process, do you feel like that advice has been liberating? Yeah, for sure. I think it's great to just feel that you, can, you don't need permission from anyone to write anything you want, because I guess that's really the point of writing, and that's what I love about it. So, Michelle, this all began in such a bizarre way. (laughs) And when you first started this foundation, it sounds like you came in with pretty low expectations. Like, if if we can do (laughs) something, if we can try to use this moment. But it feels like you're kind of building something that is becoming big. I mean, are you starting to get high hopes that that Uh, this could lead to something? You know what? That's another thing, I think, maybe being a woman that I struggle with. Because I'm like, can I dream big? What, What happens next? When does this end? How does it end? And then I think, okay, stop. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's just get through next week, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, we have schools in Seattle, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Los Angeles already on board. We have an event in New York. We, I mean, there are so many things that we're doing. I just got back from Washington, D.C. for the Asian American uh, Foundation Summit. I just, it's incredible that I'm able to live this life on top of my real life. Is this a real life? What's a real life? <laughs> this is all a real life, right? <laughs> I mean, this is your life now. Yeah, it really is. And so now I have two full-time jobs and I'm a mom. Um, but it's beautiful, you know, and it doesn't – nothing right now feels like work. I mean, the hardest part of my day is really getting up. Mm-hmm. And all of it feels amazing. If it ends tomorrow, I mean – I'll be sad, but I feel, well, if it ends tomorrow because we don't need it anymore, that would be great, mm-hmm. um, write ourselves out of existence. But this idea of being able to hopefully make an impact at young levels so that people go out into the world and making it can make it a better place because they've already put on their own oxygen mask so they can do, yeah. you know, put on other, help other people. Um, I hope I'm making sense. Now I'm like, okay, wait, I'm getting loony <laughs> uh, after being up since 145. But um, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, but, I hope, you know, yeah. I really do hope it, it, it keeps growing. We had response all around the world. In fact, I just we just did a book giveaway and I sent books to Australia, to Germany. I mean, wow. we've got a global response, uh, which is incredible and this, crazy. This is incredible and it's wonderful. It's so <laughs> great to hear about this. Michelle Lee, I want to thank you for oh, joining us today. You. And Michelle is the morning news anchor and a reporter reporter at Five on Your Side, also the founder of the Very Asian Foundation. (laughs) Cassie Sun, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. And Cassie is a senior at Marquette High School. She's a member of the Asian American Civic Scholars Group in St. Louis. And if you want information on the Very Asian Foundation, you want to see that book list for yourself, veryasianfoundation.org. We also have a link on our website, stlonair.show. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.